Thank you, everyone, for coming. Begin where we left off in our introductory class last week, and then we will dive a little deeper. So last week we just basically covered the fact that as a general rule, everyone is looking to have a good time. We're all seeking out uh, a situation where we have a pleasurable, enjoyable life that's fulfilling to us. Unfortunately, the life that we're now living, although providing a lot of conveniences and uh, uh, some pleasurable existence, has some built-in drawbacks for us. First one being is we really didn't pick the life that we're in entirely. We didn't choose our family. We didn't choose our country. We didn't choose our culture. We didn't choose uh, the capacities of our physical existence. We didn't choose whether we were a man or a woman. We didn't choose whether we were beautiful or ugly. We didn't get to choose whether we were smart or dumb. <laughs> we didn't get to make these choices. So uh, from the very beginning, birth is is somewhat of a perplexing uh, conundrum for us. Why? Why were we this way and not that way? Why were we given this and not that? Why? 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 And they're wise just don't end. So life is nice. We're looking to have a good life, but we didn't get to choose the environment of the life we're living. The environment as far as our physical being and the environment as far as, as, far as our, our uh, physical location and our everything that's associated with. We didn't get to choose the family we were born in. Uh, we didn't get to choose to be born with a silver spoon in our mouth. Either it was there or it wasn't. For me, it wasn't, but, you know, I'd like to have been there. So, problem. Choice we didn't get to make. And there's, there's other, the sages, great <clears throat> saints and sages, they basically point out there's some other problems with mater our material life that we're confronted with, besides the fact that we didn't really get to, to make a determination as to why, where, how, under what circumstance we were born, um, we cannot in any way um, impede the progress of time and its influence upon our life. Now, for most of you, that's, you know, Everything's cool, you know, I'm young, I'm healthy, you know, everything's going my way, I don't have to worry. When you get up to this age where everything turns gray and things quit working as well as they used to before, then your outlook will change somewhat. But we really could not curtail the forward progress of time within our life. So all of us are going to grow old um, and there's nothing you can do about it. 
and I know science has been working on this problem for centuries, how to curtail growing old. And they really haven't hit the solution on the head yet. Although some of them have put forth so many theories, still, in the end, everyone's growing old. Everybody's body is deteriorating before their very eyes. Not only their body, but the bodies of everyone that's, that's in their circle of friends, in their community. The progress of time goes on. Uh, we also are confronted with situations in life where the body just doesn't, can't deal with the environment or it, it, it really throws obstacles in our way. We become diseased, whether it's a, you know, a head cold or who knows what else. And we really didn't make that choice consciously. None of us said, I want to get breast cancer. None of us said, I want to slip a disc in my back. None of us said I wanted to break my leg. And on and on, we could go on. We're confronted with, you know, the the epidemic of life. And the epidemic of life is is disease. And if we're lucky, we could live pretty well and not get one. And then on the other hand, we could turn around and walk through an airport and walk out with a... With a a virus that'll kill us. So we really have no control of disease. So we have no control of the forward progress of time. We know have, have no control of disease. And we have no control and we did not make any choice as to where we were born and under what circumstance. And there's one other problem. It ends. And we don't know when. We don't know why. We don't know how, and we don't know what's on the other end. That's a problem. I could be here speaking to you one moment, and I could be on the floor and gone the next. It's, that's, a, that's a problem. Death is there staring us all in the face. And it's going to come sooner or later. Hopefully later, hopefully a lot later. Everybody's hoping and thinking everyone around me is dying. There's a great, great personality, a leader in society 5,000 years ago. He said, you know, Maharaj, you steer, you know. What's really confounding to me is the fact that in life we see everyone around us is eventually dying, but we never think that we're going to die. We don't, we don't really want to think about that, but we can observe that death is there at every step. So, birth, death, old age, disease, impediments to that nice, enjoyable life that we're all seeking. And these things, unfortunately, are not main, minor. They, these are like major things that get in the way of having a fully pleasurable existence. And 
except for the birth, the other three, we just, the on, onward progress of time, we cannot do anything about, and disease and death can come, and they do come at every moment. Not to all of us, but to somebody around us, either close or further away. So, is there, is there, this is a question we need to ask ourselves, is there a way that we can change or bring about a change or enter into a consciousness wherein these four major factors no longer have such an influence upon our existence that, you know, that we're, we're constantly overwhelmed by them. In other words, can we conquer disease? Can we conquer death? Can we have a determination as to our next birth? And, well, old age, is there a way to actually stop the forward progress of time and its influence upon us? So, although modern science has always looked to a consideration that knowledge is knowledge based upon what we can observe, the great mystic and the great sages have put just as much emphasis on the solution to these four problems as modern man has put an emphasis upon advancement in the science, in the literatures, in the artworks, in the you know, in so many other fields of study, just as much emphasis as we in Western society have put upon a progressive increase in our knowledge and understanding of the world around us, they have put just as much of an emphasis on the world inside of us. And one could argue that they are better off for it, that they've actually, according to their own revelation, come to a state of consciousness, a state of existence, wherein their consciousness has been allowed them to transcend to a lesser or very greater extent these four impediments of existence that we're confronted with when we accept the body as the self. That's pretty profound. So the question is, is there any validity to their, to their truth? Should we give it 
the time of day, an inquiry into the a pursuit of what's inside, should we give that as much effort as we have given individually and collectively to an outside pursuit of knowledge? So we're going to look at the pursuit and an understanding of their methodology and hopefully by looking at the methodology that they've employed to look inward, we can come to a conclusion ourselves as to whether it would be something that we would like to or look into, to pursue, to fully investigate. Because it is available to us, such an investigation. Just as just an investigation of any field of knowledge that's in the world around us is available to us. If we want to become, you know, a gardener, we can go to the university and learn about the maintenance of soil and the rotation of crops and the seasons of planting and the seasons of harvesting and the, you know, the, the ways to protect and so many ways we can pursue that. And that, that, that's just one field. There are unlimited fields of knowledge as we discussed last week. So in thinking about this approach, and in thinking about um, its validity, I was drawn to Jiva Goswami's <laughs> introduction to the question of truth, knowledge. There's basically the same thing. I mean, knowledge without truth is what? It's an illusion. None of us wants to live in a world of illusion because Illusion will not pay your bills. You could say, oh, I'm so, I'm so talented, but if you really have no knowledge of something, you know, you could, you could be an illusion. You can illusion yourself, you, but you, you really, existence is based upon knowledge, and knowledge has to be grounded in a truthful understanding, no matter what the pursuit is, either outward or inward. So I wanted to read to you, we're going to basically analyze over the next couple Saturday classes, as many as it takes, an introduction that was written by a, a contemporary spiritualist. Uh, to try to enter into the significance of this pursuit and how those that are looking inward as much as outward uh, uh, go about that kind of an acquisition of knowledge. We're kind of familiar, all of us, as far as the external acquisition of knowledge, right? Whatever field you may want to pursue, it's good to 
put yourself in a group of people that are pursuing that. You go to the university, the college, and you say, I want to learn this science or that. I want to be a bookkeeper. I want to be a scientist. I want to be an astronaut, whatever you want to be. You go into that, you go, you, you hang out with those kind of people and you, you learn from them and you learn, you, you go to, and you sit in the classes of the super old ones. We call the, them professors. They're, you know, they're really, they're the doctors of the sciences of this, that, and another thing. Well, there's also doctors of the sciences of going as inward, just as there are doctors of the sciences that go outward to let us pursue things in life. So we're going to read here from this contemporary sage, Satchinarayan, and this is a from the Tattvasandarbha. He is explaining the basic epistemology. Epistemology means, it's a long word, but it means what? It means the pursuit, it means a valid way how do you define truth and what's a valid way of acquiring it? That's that's what epistemology is. is, is it's that. What's the nature of truthful knowledge? So we'll read from there. The topic of epistemology is indispensable to an investigation of truth. For how can we claim to know anything in truth if our means of knowing it be flawed or uncertain? At this point, I'm going to jump ahead to just as we have these defects of life, we also, if we depend upon our facilities, our, our, what we have at our disposal to acquire truth, we're also confronted with some impediments. Those impediments were pointed out by Jiva Goswami at the very beginning of his Sandarbhas, or his truth for the essence of life. That's what Sandarbha means, seeking out the essence. Um, so, what Jiva Goswami writes at the very beginning of his Sandarbhas in regards to the way that we normally acquire truthful knowledge, he says, in this regard, perception, perception, what is perception? We hear, we see, we smell, we taste, we touch. These are our knowledge perceiving senses and all that information is filtered by the mind. So he, is, he says, Jiva says, in regards to perception, inference, I can infer that something is this way or that based on what I've perceived in the past. I can infer that if there's a fire and I stick my hand in it, I will get burnt because I stuck my hand in a fire before and I got burnt. So that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good inference 
I can kind of rely on it. But he says, in this regard, perception, directly feeling it, inference, coming to conclusion regarding something based on something that I experienced in the per some other perception that I had, and other such methods are deficient because human beings are prone to four defects. Jiva goes on. They are subject to delusion. They make mistakes. They are liable to misrepresentational bias. And their senses are limited in functional capacity. Furthermore, these methods of acquiring knowledge are not at all suited to approach the transcendental entity or the search within. What is our transcendental self? Or what is the transcendental super self? Whose nature is inherently inconceivable and beyond phenomenality. So, without going too deeply in that right now, we have a problem when it comes to acquiring a truthful representational thing of things through because of these four impediments. Our senses are not perfect. The dog across the street hears me when I get up very early in the morning and starts to bark. How does he hear me? I'm in my room. But I guarantee you, when I get up, he knows it. And he let me, lets me know that he knows it. For some time of, sometimes an extended period of time, he will let me know that I know what you're up to over there. I heard, your, heard you flip the light switch. <laughs> How did you hear that? Okay. And so, some, our sense of sight is limited. And all of our senses depending on different circumstances, are not perfect. A lot of us wear glasses. A lot of us, I can't smell, but Bhakti Ross, when something's bad in the room, she'll pull her shirt up like this, and I'm like, what's wrong? Uh, there's something in there. Uh, that's off-gassing. Off-gassing? I'm like, I don't know what off-gassing is, but she's like, i got to keep this up here. You know, that new thing you've got's off-gassing. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> You know, and then again, I can hear things. <laughs> and she's like, what? I said, can't you hear that? No, what? What's bothering you? You don't hear that noise? You don't hear the dogs barking? No. And I'm like, what the? How could you miss it? I don't hear it. So she can smell a lot better than I can, but she can't hear as good as I can. It's good for her because sometimes she can just, you know, I didn't hear you. <laughs> you called me? I didn't I didn't know. <laughs> All right. So our senses are imperfect. They 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 have limits. Some people can taste and this tasting's different. So imperfect senses. We well, if we have imperfect senses, we can make mistakes, right? If you have an imperfect sense and your, your, you know, your tongue is not working properly, 
what's tasting, you know, what's bitter, maybe you may not pick up on the bitterness. It's so we make mistakes. The majority here would say it's bitter, but if your tongue's not working properly, then you're like, doesn't taste bitter to me. I just saw some TV show and this guy lost his sense. He was a cook. He lost his sense of taste. Could you taste this? You know, imagine being a chef and you can no longer taste. That's kind of a problem. But it happens, right? Sometimes our set, a particular sense won't work. So therefore we can make mistakes because we have a bad tool. Our eyes not working, our nose or whatever. Something's not working and we can make mistakes because of it. We can, give a, we can come to a wrong conclusion because our senses are imperfect. Then we have a misrepresentational bias. What does this mean? We have to, we generally, all of us, have a preconceived notion of things. We, 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 it comes, comes with the, with the body and mind that we're in. So we have a, a misrep, we basically think one way or another. We have prejudices. We have likes and dislikes. And those really, well, what do they say when you go to the court of law to, to sit on a jury? Can you set aside any bias that you may have and honestly just listen to the facts and come to a conclusion based just on the facts? So you're not going to say, well, the person was black, therefore I know he had to commit the crime. That's a bias that a particular race of people are more inclined to be criminals than another, or so many things are there. So I think we could all look to ourselves and say, yeah, I have a bias one way or another. I have a bias about the food I eat. I have a bias about the my sexual orientation, I have a bias, I have so many biases about, you know, who I think is, is wor worthy of my association and who I, who I don't. So misrepresentational bias based on our prior experiences in life, whether those, whether that bias is justified or not, that's another question but we all carry biases. And what's the fourth? Our senses are limited. Well, I'm sorry. He, 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 yeah, he says delusion. Delusion. Make mistakes. I, I started with imperfect senses. We make mistakes. Misrepresentation and, and delusion. Complete complete, uh, what do we want to say? Well, we're deluded. We, we, don't, we don't arrive at the proper conclusion. So Jiva Goswami, this great saint, he says this, these, this, if you're going to pursue truth, you, you're going to have to go beyond 
what are uh, of what are the available means of acquiring truth you're really going to have to go beyond those well this gets us to a very very interesting point because practically all conclusions that we arrive at and accept as truth are either based directly on our perception or something that we inferred from our perceptions in the past or what directly in dependent upon knowledge that other people have arrived at using their senses and that they've inferred and they're misrepresentational and the representational yes so all this outward reach for knowledge there's problems in it and where do we see these problems we have direct experience of such situations the biggest one that i see in my life that i've experienced is this constant change from generation to generation or even decade to decade of the conclusions regarding what's good for your health have you observed this any of you that one 10 years ago it was all carbs are bad for you and 10 years later well carbs weren't so bad or you need to have a glass of wine to keep your heart healthy at night 10 years later who 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 came up with that idea well all the doctors said it, it was a valid no it's not valid and here's my conclusion to show you that it's not valid and just think uh, i i'm just thinking of of dietary things that that have come up repeatedly that we learned in school is uh-huh. now literally upside down. Oh, really? Yes. What was big on the bottom and small on the top is now, you know, completely reversed. Reverse. Yeah. So we see this in life, don't we? So if we look at, even if you look at other sciences like physics, you know, and other conclusions that mankind has arrived at. so many so many things you know even even the approach to for every action there's an opposite and equal reaction the physicists are like well it's not quite like that because there's other factors involved what goes up must come down not all the time (laughs) not so much so there is and we will see as we go on here that there is a distinct difference between the outgoing acquisition of knowledge and its utilization for an enjoyable existence and the inward search for a fulfilling and enjoyable existence and the main difference is that ingoing that 
search within ourselves when properly directed can give us a fulfillment that's free of not only those defects that come with our material life where we put all of our where we put all of our all the significance our sense of self in the outward existence when we turn our sense of self to our inward existence not only do we eliminate these problems that we're confronted with where our sense of self is based upon where we were born who we were born how we were born what what the body experiences and on and on when we look to the sense of self that turns inward then there is a stability in the knowledge there and that's what we're going to explore now a stability in that knowledge a transcendental reality of that knowledge that's above our experience without that provides uh, a means of knowing which is free of defects whoa a means of knowing free of defects you just said all knowledge is, is riddled with defects all knowledge is turned upside down and inside out again and again through through the annals of time so what is this other thing where the knowledge is inward and it's stable and it's free of these defects and it's free of this constant turmoil so let's talk about that kind of a pursuit that pursuit that search for truth epistemology we'll go on we'll read a little bit more it would remain at best an approximation subject to further review so before embarking on a deliberation of the core truths of Sambandha Abhideya and Prayojan, uh, Sambandha, the nature of things, how to pursue a full understanding of things, and what is the result of that kind of an understanding. It is critical that a valid means of knowing, the Sanskrit term here is praman, or means of valid knowing be ascertained. So before we look inward, we already know looking outward, we got some problem. We're confronted with some problems. And we can see just in what we've discussed here, the tip of the iceberg, just the tip. I mean, just go through any of the different sciences, go to any of the schools of, of that outward gaining gained knowledge, whatever they are when you go deep into them you see continual a continual fluctu fluctuation in what is considered the the means of acquiring that knowledge the best means and also what is 
the top understanding, understanding of that particular subject. So we'll read on. At the time of Jiva Goswami, this great sage, the orthodox schools of Indian philosophy based their metaphysics primarily on the authority of the Vedas, considering them to be divine sound revelation, subda. So the subject of epistemology comes to focus solely on the discussion of a spiritual line of authority stemming from the Vedas. Jiva Goswami extends the discussion a step further by logically and scripturally propounding Srimad Bhagavatam as the definitive portion of the fifth Veda, which reveals the inner meaning of the Vedas. Apparently, on this foundation alone, the epistemological inquiry is determined to be complete. A lot of big words there, but this sage says, I've come to the conclusion that this is our valid means of knowing. But before we go deeper there, we're going to continue to read because we, we're really going to get an insight into a methodology of the thinking of such inward turning of our pursuit for truth, and knowledge, and what distinguishes it from the outward acquisition of truth and knowledge. Because both inward or outward, we can agree that the objective is what? The objective is a perfect life, a life well lived. We really want that, no matter whether it's inside or out. Now, what our definition of that perfection is, well, the outward definitions are as varied as, as you can imagine. Some people have a, uh, have a desire to live a life that's, that's based on a truth that provides them a specific type of enjoyment, whether it be wealth, whether it be physical well-being, whether it be whatever it may be it's we can all pursue that enjoy enjoyable life similarly there's as there is there is as much of the variety that's attained through outward pursuits that bring about a pleasurable pleasurable existence for the self for our being as there are inward of course, the inward possibilities are truly endless and nuanced in the most extraordinary ways. But before we delve into those, that unlimited world of inward enjoyment, we need to understand the methodology of the pursuit of that inward uh, experience. I'll read on. But if this is the case, 
then of what relevance can such an apparent epistemological reduction be to the disciplines of modern philosophy, psychology, phenomenality, phenomenality, phenomenal, what is that? <laughs> Conscious studies, consciousness studies, quantum physics, and so on. Indeed, of what relevance is it for any modern reader inquire outside of an insular group of believers? The answer to these questions will lead us into deeper epistemological evaluation. He's basically asking us to say, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between your looking inward based on your standard of knowledge, which you say are some books called the Vedas and a conclusion of those books called the Bhagwat? What, what's the difference between that and all the other pursuits of science? psychology, and everything else that he's mentioned here, philosophy, phenomenality, conscious stu consciousness studies, even the physical sciences, quantum physics, mechanics, etc. So if we look at that pursuit, we'll gain some real insight. So one more paragraph here before we wrap it up and talk about this for a while. First of all, looking beyond the apparent reduction, one that would seemingly require a trans-empirical leap of faith, a more profound and certain means of knowing is implied in the concept of revealed sound. In other words, there's something deeper when we look to knowledge about the within than what's coming from without. And that is a concept that we need to fully comprehend in order to appreciate the distinctions between the outward knowledge and the inward pursuit of knowledge. And that is the concept of revealed sound revealed sound called subda. What's this mean? Other methods of knowledge, pramans, such as perception and inference, are possible means of valid knowing within the range of operations that define their respective limits, effectively the quantifiable and the thinkable. That's the limit. The quantifiable and the thinkable. Subda, on the other hand, subda, transcendental sound, signifies a supercognitive sound potency that is transhuman. A purusheya doesn't come from a human source. And thus, beyond the limitations of language and thought, that is self-existing and self-revealing. It itself, that knowledge that facilitates that inward journey, that kind of knowledge called subda is itself 
has its own potency and it reveals itself. It's self-revealing. It's beyond sensual and the mental cognitive features of our existence. And thus trans-empirical, above the sensual. And that is disclosed to consciousness directly. Direct perception. Without mediation through our other conditional mode of knowing. So, how much we could dive into this one paragraph. But it begins, it's a place for us to begin such an inward quest. And the beginning is, this is beyond any adventure that you've taken before. Any endeavor for truth and knowledge that you've embarked upon before. Because the means in and of itself is beyond our own capacities. It's actually coming to us through a means of revelation if we will simply turn our consciousness in a way to take advantage of that revelation. That revelation is subda, and the subda itself is self-manifesting perception beyond the senses and the mind. So uh, I think we'll. This is enough to to really think about. And if we put, a lot of us are practitioners. Of a, of, a, of a means in pursuit of such revelation, but to understand the pursuit itself and the means of the pursuit are themselves beyond any outward facilities that we have. So we engage in what? We engage in, in Sangha, we hear, we hear scripture, we chant, we, we associate with devotees, we take prasadam. All of these things in and of themselves are transcendental and have a potency which is beyond our thinking and, and cognitive ability. We really don't know the transformative influence that these practices are having. We don't fully comprehend, especially in our beginning stages, what, what is the process. We think, I'm engaging in the process. But really, the process is engaging us. 
it's taking over in a very internal way our very existence. Any questions? Yes. Some people could think that what you're talking about is is intuition. It's intuition comes, it's a form of knowledge, but it doesn't come to us through any acquisition of the senses. It is something that's revealed to us mm-hmm. from within. I'm kind of wondering if it's similar, parallel. And then also, I like how there is, in the spiritual realm, there's usually a correlation in the material realm. Um, so could intuition kind of be the microcosm, the material manifestation of the phenomenality of Shabda? To some extent, yes. Yes. It, just, it, it would depend on what what is really intuition. When we speak of intuition, what are we speaking of? Revelation. Mm-hmm. Something reve- re- is revealed to you that it just like, well, it just came to me that, you know, my sister's dying. I feel it in my gut that I've just lost my mother or You know, people have these trans-empirical, trans meaning above, beyond the capability of what? The empirical senses, the hearing, the seeing, the smelling, the touching, the tasting. So yes, there is certainly some, some preview. It's a preview. It's like a... uh, Yes, exactly. A trailer of things to come. You can actually come to a state of consciousness where everything is intuitive to you and you don't need your senses to pick up on it. Now, of course, intuitions are both material and there can be some spiritual intuition there and that would be based on experience or some scars and... Unfortunately, um, it's a good word that you're using, but we we have to really look at it in the context of what the sages have said. And they don't use that nomenclature. They use the nomenclature of revelation. So there, I believe there is a correlation there, and, and your, your statement's probably well-founded, but that doesn't mean every intuition is a revelation, you know. But some are. And we're also prone to make mistakes and be deluded. <laughs> yeah. think our intuition is... Better. Is more than it actually is. Yeah. Like Krishna, some will say, God told me to do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guarantee you, my God didn't tell you to do what you think God told you to do because shooting up a, you know, a group of people was not not something that would be in my God's plan. So... Your intuition may not be well founded. So, there's some some truth certainly to what you're saying. Yes, ma'am. Um, let me see if I can ask this so you can understand what I'm saying. Um, basically, you're saying that we will never truly understand the 
process or the you will never truly apprehend our internal self using our external senses and mind but you did say that participating in these activities brings us to a certain I don't know transcendental this the those activities themselves have a transcendental self-revealing potency that will in due course of time manifest the result of our inward and result in our inward awareness but you can meditate and have that yes and as long as you understand that there's a possibility you could be deluded yes then how do you check that or counter check we have a whole system for that and that is called a spiritual lineage based on reveal revelations that have been verified through time we call that a disciplic succession it it's constituted of three main components our current teacher guru mm -hmm. teachers in the past who have had similar experiences that he's had in the present sadhus and these are all verified by scriptures that have been further provided from the transcendental realm in other words they can be written they can be they can just be descending uh, shruti or they can be subda they can be heard like narrations of incidents that revolve evolved to the point of revelation like we hear of sukadev goswami this great saint who was free of all material encumbrance but then he was attracted to the inner world an inner world that he wasn't even aware of and when he first heard of that inner world he was like overcome he was free of the of the slings and arrows of material life and he was a happy camper we would say we call that a jivan mukta he would, he could live in the world without any of the influences of birth death old age and disease was he able to transcend out of the world yeah well he he had a lot of capacity before he even heard this these other revelations of, the, of an inward reality he was spoke he spoken of as he refused to take birth remember we were talking about the problems of birth he refused to take birth until the circumstances were right so he could control his birth he was in he was actually free of material influence so there's there's a certain amount as you say from our own meditation from our own endeavor we can come to the stage of a jivan mukta mm -hmm. we get a little help from our friends outside but you know because it says what's the scripture say that there even for the the brahmavadi someone seeking brahman the jnani and the yogi to perfect their endeavor there has to be a bit of the internal shakti coming in from from the transcendental realm we call that swarup shakti there has to be a touch a drop of swarup shakti can't you can go pretty far on your own but still why not just bathe totally 
in the Swarup Shakti. And that's the process of bhakti that we adhere to from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, from the beginning of our of our interest in devotional life and the, and the Sangha of devotees through its culmination in entering fully into that completely from the beginning to the end, we're, we're trying to bathe ourselves in that internal potency through worshiping and appreciating the deity, feeding the deity, associating with the devotees, singing kirtan, reading the scriptures, serving the spiritual master, a hundred other things which pro- provide primarily, though, eight things, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Padasevanam, Archanam, Vandanam, Sakyam, Dasyam, Sakyam. So plan on spending the rest of my life. Or two. Well, I don't know about the next life. I don't know. You know if you begin this life in bhakti, next life is guaranteed in bhakti. I can barely get through this life. Oh, you're so getting through it I'll fine. You're in later. good company. Yes. I was thinking while you're speaking, also, it's like, you know, we live here where there's air. We live on the land, and it's it's as if we are wanting to live in the ocean, but we just don't have the right senses. Other creatures are living in the ocean. Fish are swimming, and they have the right senses to be able to allow them to swim in the ocean. So we're here and what we do here is helps us develop the senses so that we can live in the ocean. You know, we'll still have senses, but they will be adapted. You know, they will be transformed to survive in a different environment. So if we want to go to the spiritual environment, if we want to live within, we have to develop the senses that allow us to enter the internal environment. Yeah. And that's done through My spiritual master wrote a book that kind of gives you an idea of what you're saying. He called it Easy Journey to Other Planets. That you could adapt your consciousness and actually go to any planet or any atmosphere that you wanted. I thank you for your association. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. Anjakopatu Vishjaya, Krishna Vishjaya, Dijanam Bhakti, Vishnavi, Jivu Namaha.